right, guys, welcome back to the It's Not Just a Game podcast today. Um, I'm your host, Chrissy Sanders. Um, thanks again for listening. Um, this is the show that we take you behind the scenes of sports and entertainment. Today, we have a really special guest. We have Lindsay. Um, Lindsay, how do you say your last name so I don't mess it up? <laughs> it's Dark Angelo. Dark Angelo? Yep. All right, perfect. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to remind you guys, if you like the content that we that we post, the content that we put out, uh, don't hesitate to share, like, leave a review, subscribe. Um, and then if you do leave a review, make sure that you put something about your business or your freelance gig or whatever the case may be so that I can read it on air and advertise your business. That's the way I uh, support you guys for supporting the show. Um, you know, I, I will never sell you any anything uh, I will only put out your business so that more people can learn about you. All right. Okay. So uh, back to the show. Today we have Lindsay Darkangelo, right? Um, so her work has been featured in so much. She is a writer. Um, she went to Randolph-Macon in Virginia. You've probably seen her work in the Post, not the Post, the Huffington Post, um, the Guardian, the Athletic right now, like she covers the Bills, um, and she also covers the WNBA, uh, Medium, The Ringer, and 30 plus more. Like she is an extremely, extremely uh, sought after and uh, very accomplished uh, writer. And welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. No problem. Um, thanks for doing this. So, um, you you went to Randolph Macon in Virginia. Number one, how did you even find that college? <laughs> right, um, <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to get out of, out of Buffalo uh, and just go south. And I happened to tour the campus my my junior year of high school with with my dad. We were on a trip, a road trip, and we just stopped because it's just outside of Virginia, right off of ninety five. And I just fell in love with the campus. It's this 1800s colonial, small, small campus. But I just, it resonated with me. And so that's that's how I found it. That's how I decided to go there. Um, yeah, that's that's the story. So, like, were you looking at any other colleges? Like, were you, or, or you just were like, I don't know, I got to do something after high school you know, because that was what it was for me, because I'm over here looking at, at, at colleges and I'm over here like, look, I have zero skills. Like, <laughs> you know, people I like, especially nowadays, people are like, oh, you can drop out of second grade and you don't need anything. You can still be successful. You don't need to go to college. I did. <laughs> so, yeah, like, I, I think um, um, we it was ingrained in, in, in my head, my brother's heads that once you graduated high school, you, you got to go to college. And at that point in time, as an 18 year old kid, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I loved writing. I knew I was good at it, but I didn't really know how to explore it or, or what vein I should do that in or pursue. So I, I just, just kind of just picked a college to go to college. Um, so many kids today, uh, pick colleges on knowing exactly why and what and when and just have more information available to them that I wish I had back then. But I don't regret going there. I had a great time there. I, I had some really incredible experiences that, that were life-changing. Um, could I have gone to a school specifically for journalism and, and, and 
in that kind of path, yes. Uh, but I didn't know it at the time. So it, it was what it was, you know, can't change it. Right, right. So when you majored in creative writing, did you see yourself being a sports journalist or did you see yourself like writing stories, writing plays? Yeah, at the time I did a lot more fiction. I I was doing a lot of short stories and poetry and all of that. And I started out as a history major thinking I might try teaching, but um, (laughs) changed that up my junior year. Sports journalism was so far out of out of the realm of possibilities for me. I just, I got a C in the one journalism class I took. I just, just really wasn't just not paying attention to that side of things. So um, I, I set myself up on a very different path, which is kind of funny how I ended up here now, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. It's so funny that you should say that. I majored in journalism and, but I got a C in creative writing. Right. So <laughs> I thought like, how do you get a scene in creative writing? Right? Well, I did. <laughs> so number one, like, and it's like it's such a subjective class. Like, it's literally like complete all the compa- all the pages that you need to write, and you should get an A. But for whatever reason, I guess like my prose was such a trash short story. Like, I don't even know what I was talking about, Lindsay. Like, it was just I'm not even gonna bring it up because it did have a couple sexual content in it, and that's probably why it didn't even work out. But like. How do you get a C in creative writing? I did. (laughs) So, like, I don't know. So, all right, you're over here and you're like, uh, when did you decide to become a sports journalist? Like, you did some copywriting. You did a couple of different writing jobs, like actual jobs for companies. Like, you were a copywriter and then you were a writer for somewhere else. So, how'd you become a sports journalist? So, yeah, so my path to my current position right now is very long and twisty. And how long have we um, Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you kind of the abridged version because it's kind of a long story, but um, I had a few different uh, writing jobs out of college um, just in different areas. I was a copywriter for the Buffalo news for five years. I was a high school sports reporter at a, a weekly paper um, out just at a town outside of Buffalo. I did some web writing for a communications department at a college. So I sort of dabbled in a few things. But after I left the news in 2009, the Buffalo News, to go freelance full time, I started writing profiles of celebrities and, and doing features of that nature for a magazine called Curve. And it's uh it was a, a pretty big national magazine at the time with with a primarily lesbian audience. And they asked me if I wanted to do kind of sports-related content. So I said, sure. You know, I started interviewing high-profile lesbian athletes like uh, Brittany Griner, Megan Rapinoe, um, just a, a handful of others. And I got a few cover stories out of it. And I just really liked it. I really liked fusing, you know, just, I've always liked talking to people. I was like, like asking questions. And so doing profiles is, was right up my alley and then adding the sports element to it. And, um, the, the lesbian, the lesbian angle too, it was just, you know, since I'm gay, <laughs> um, all those things melded together. It just really worked for me. And then, um, my daughter was born in 2012. So I had to kind of shelve everything. And I stayed home with her for a couple of years. And then, um, once she was two and, and 
I started getting back into it, but everything really changed in 2015. I, I joined Twitter and for writers, it's such a great tool for networking. And I just started pitching sports related content to different, different publications and uh, media sites, and also still doing some, some non-sports content, but I really liked the sports. I really liked covering local stuff here in Buffalo and then doing stuff on the national level. And I just sort of started getting just more, more um, commissions to do, to do more of that. And it just sort of went that way. Um, so fast forward or four years later, um, I'm he now I'm, you know, working for the athletic and that's all that I do. So um, really it was just kind of a, a slow path to it, but it seems mm -hmm. right now I can tell you that looking back, you know, my mother <laughs> always told me even when I was in high school that I should go into sports journalism and I always balked at it. And, you know, looking back, mm -hmm. I kind of wish I would have listened to her and saved myself a lot of time and energy, right. but you know, I'm a much better writer now because of all the path of, because of the path that I took and, um, I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, that's so, that's really, that's, that's really interesting that you should say that. My mom said that I should go into journalism as well, but, um, you know, like I told you even, you know, before we got on the actual podcast itself, I think one of the biggest things that kind of deterred me was uh, the financial thing. So like I always, well, I was weird as a kid, right? So um, at eight years old, I came home, told my mom, I, I met one, one of my cousins working on Wall Street, right? And so I met Richie and I'm like, oh, I thought that was like the coolest thing ever. And then like, he made all this money and I thought it was dope. And so I was like, I came home and told my mom at eight years old that I'm going to work on Wall Street. I'm going to be a stockbroker. And what type mm -hmm. of eight year old says that? Right. And so at this point, like, you know what I mean? You got little Jordan Belfort running around minus the conspiracies. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> but um, and but my mom always say you should do journalism. But like, I just couldn't handle the financial burden uh of uh of getting into the space as it was um because I graduated 2019 right so not oh I'm lying 2009 <laughs> like um so like um and you started freelancing in 2009 so can you talk about like what type of wherewithal you had to have and commitment that you had to have to your craft which I obviously didn't um you know to be able to weather the financial struggles and then on top of that, like put together a consistent well, paycheck. Well, you know, that? just to be fully transparent, uh, part of the reason I was able to leave in, in 2009 and make that jump, make that leap was because of my wife. Um, she is in the technology sector. She does very well. And, you know, she said we had a conversation about it. I, my whole thought was, you know, I was turning, um, this is what, 10 years ago. So I, I just turned 30 and I said, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Um, and I didn't want to be st stuck being a copywriter for the rest of my life. It, it, it could be fun, and, but it, I didn't really feel it like it was a creative outlet for me. And you know, I felt I wanted to do more. So she supported my decision um, to, to do that. And so I, I was freelancing, basically bringing in a part-time income, but it was okay because mm -hmm. Um, because she made 
you know, money as well. So we were, I was able to do that. A lot of people who freelance aren't in that um, type of situation. So I, I didn't feel as stressed. I mean, there's still pressure to freelance, right? You can never enjoy when you publish an article because you're always looking for the next pitch. You're always looking for the next um, assignment yeah. because you, you pitch way more than, than you, than you get commissioned. So it's a constant cycle of pitching and writing and, and, and getting it published and pitching and writing and getting it published. And it could be very stressful if you say you have one down month that's not as successful as the next, you know, and if you're the only one covering rent and, and all, all your bills, you know, I know a lot of people who, who just get burnt out really quickly. Um, it was, it was still a grind, you know, I'm not going to say that it wasn't, but I didn't have that ad- added pressure um, as, as a lot of others do. Yeah. And um, you know, in some years I did, pretty well. And others I had had down years, um, especially after I decided to stay home with my daughter. Um, I, I pretty much, once you're out of the game and you're out of sight, out of mind, I had pretty much lost all my kind of regular gigs and I had to, to build it all back up again. Um, once I hit the ground running, but, um, so yeah, so I, I was able to do it in large part, because of the financial and emotional support of my wife. Um, so I, I don't want that to get lost on out of this conversation, you know? Um, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. And that's definitely huge. You know what I mean? Like for people to have, you know what I mean? To have a support system. And I think that's so wonderful that um, you even had that type of opportunity. Um, and like, it's amazing how the universe works or God or whoever you believe in, because I think like I read your work, uh, I followed you. I think you're so incredibly smart, so incredibly talented, so in- incredibly consistent. And I think it's so interesting how like, you know, even though journalism can be a little bit of a grind, like you said, the universe kind of like, helped you out in the sense of to align you with your wife so that we could still enjoy your work. I appreciate <laughs> you, know you saying like, that. I mean, and it's, <laughs> so, you know, that's um, why, you know, I, I want to be fully transparent, you know, and I know freelancers who, who bust their butt to even make, you know, a regular living doing this, but it wears on them and they're extremely, you know, stressed a lot. Um, it takes a certain kind of person, I think, to be able to, to do it and, and make a living out of it. Um, you know, that's not to say I'm not trying to take away anything from myself because it's still it was still a grind and it, it still was a lot of hard work and I still brought in income, you know, um, but it's just different situation. Everybody's situation is different. You know, I think like when it comes down to freelancing and those which I've noticed who are successful and um, and those who are successful in entrepreneurship as well, it's like like you were saying, it's not even about the money because I always say like money follows like results, right? You know, and money like money of uh, you know follows and never leads is one of the things that I always believe. And I think that when you are a freelancer and the work that you do, because you're not over here telling us about, hey, you know, uh, bills beat the saints or, you know what I mean? Or the Liberty beat the, you know, fever. Like you're not doing that box score type of reporting or telling us about how many, what the field goal percentage is. Like you have to have some type of burning uh, passion. Like, you know, if you had to cure for cancer, right? And that was your business. Like you're not really going to care if you're not, you know, like making money on the first deal or the second deal or whatever case may be, because 
your passion is to get that to the world. You know what I mean? And like, you can kind of like tell in your writing that it's a little bit more, it has a little bit more substance than I feel like the average, you know, freelancer does. Um, that's just my personal opinion on it. Like, yeah. And you, know you make a good point know? about, um, about the box score and, you know, there are, there are beat writers who that's what they do, right? They, their job is to go to the games and give you the rundown of the game. And, um, that's why the athletic is such a good fit for me. Cause, uh, that most, our writers don't do that. Our writers go beyond the box score, uh, and give you, give you more you know, more insight into the athlete, into, into the game, into the, the pieces, all the pieces on and off the court. Um, and that's what I've always done well with, you know, is the human interest side of sports. Um, so being able, being able mm-hmm. to do that in all different kind, you know, I cover the NFL, I do hockey, I do women's hockey, I do WNBA, like being able to do it all is, is, has been really, really awesome. Yeah, and I think it's so interesting that you should bring up the um, the uh, women's hockey because um, I think that's really interesting because one of the biggest things that I realize, realize as more and more like I grow is that just because my interest is basketball, like it doesn't mean like women are having disparities in sports, like in every sport, right? So it's not like even though like WNBA and women's soccer gets most of the attention, like there's women's hockey, there's softball, and like they need people to tell these stories. And I mean, and you and um, you know, I believe uh, Erica Ayala, she does a good job of telling like the stories of women's hockey and things like that. And I just think it's so important, like the work that you do telling the story of these women that would normally uh, never have a voice. Like, you know, and you look at uh, the Houston comments, for example, like there's going to be a whole generation of kids that didn't know that Houston was a city of champions due to the fact that like everything, all the banners came down. Like it was like, it was not a thing anymore. And most of the time women and even minorities, like as I'm a minority myself, our history does not get told. You know, and um, you're working on a book right now. Yeah, you can um, tell. A, yeah, can it's all, it's all part of my history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're, and you're really documenting this in real time. Like for us to like actually have. Um, the, the book that I'm like, currently writing now you're talking about? Yeah. So, um, yeah, there was a, a, a national yeah, yeah, football yeah. league that existed in the 1970s that, that like you, nobody knows about, um, nobody knows it existed. And, um, a co-writer, uh, friend, uh, and right. writer, um, Brittany De La Creta, she uh, is also a full, she, well, she full-time freelance. I, I have a steady job now, so that's kind of where we differ, but she, she and I, um, decided to go in on this together. She discovered, you know, that this existed and we talked about it and, and decided to kind of do this together. And, um, yeah, we're writing a book about the league, about all the players, uh, just about the growth of women's football and then why it didn't succeed. And there's so many relevant themes, uh, to it that still exist today, as far as, you know, the treatment of female athletes and the, the lack of, um, lasting women's sports leagues and the, and the lack of financial help. I mean, it's all, it's all there. And it's, um, it's, I'm excited about it because I could see, I could see it um, kind of as a, a league of their own kind of a thing. 
if you remember that movie and that that story of these women who just played mm. because they love to play football and um I'm, I'm excited to share their personal stories yeah i got a good friend um that i went to college with she's um she's playing for the Cleveland crush right now, which is like a women's football league. And Mm -hmm. that's like, she has a full-time job, you know what I mean? Like she's working security security guard, um, you know, goes to practice, still training every single day. Like it's her second, like, like it's an actual job. I mean, I believe, you know, like, and I'm not sitting here saying that, you know, men don't have passion for what they do. Like, I would be lying. You know what I mean? I know there are tons of men who have passion for what they do, but I believe that these women, like, they do these jobs in, you know, terrible facilities, terrible working conditions, tra- terrible traveling traveling conditions, but they show up every single day. And then not only do they show up, but they actually, like, interact with fans and all this other stuff. Like, you know, you would think... <laughs> Like, who feels like yeah. doing that after you go, no, you know, I, in these type of environments, you know? No, I was just going to say, I agree with you. So, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, and it's just, it just really goes to show, like, the passion that's there. And that's why I believe that the stories need to be told, you know, because it's like, if you're not going to pay them, don't erase them either. You know what I mean? Like, which is so important people understand. Um, you know, and, and even, you know, as a black woman, um, we, I think about that kind of stuff too, you know, like, because it doesn't matter. There are so many black women who were the first to, uh, do things at a high level in major industries, but Mm -hmm. our stories never get told, you know, um, and we got to change. Um, so we, we're in the process. We just wrapped up the the research part. We're still, um, in early stages. Um, we're going to start writing after the new year our manuscript is due in may so the due date hasn't it, it's maybe next fall maybe next spring work it's kind of uh um and when i say spring i mean 2021 um you know it's still it's a ways away but um the yeah do i do i write fast do you write fast yeah, do you like write fast or like how? how do you, well, so I'm liking it like, do you know to people who can play the piano, right? Without maybe having lessons, they can just sit down and they just know what keys to play. Uh-huh. Um, that's kind of how I write. Um, I just it just comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, I have I have an idea, right? So I do the interview and I take notes and then I I transcribe the interview, write write it all down, and then I have a blank pa- paper in front of me. A blank page and I, I'll know how I want to start it and then it just flows and I've always written that way even back in high school doing papers and stuff like that I never had an issue with it I've never had writer's block um, it just always comes which I know I'm very lucky to, to say that um, so I'm a relatively fast writer um, with a book of this length though you know, it's a, it's daunting. I'm not going to lie. Especially when you're writing it with somebody else, you, you know, you gotta, gotta meld your styles and, and your voices together. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how the process goes, but as far as articles go, yeah, I have no, no trouble with, with those. I'm pretty, it just flows.
Yeah, like, and that's 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 really amazing because one of the things that I've noticed too um, that people say, and and you know, I don't want to assume, you know, but like I'm kind of like a no excuses person, and um, I'm like, what do people mean when they say they have writer's block? You know, especially once you get to a certain level where this is like your job. You know what I mean? As a freelancer, you eat what you kill. You know, like it's not nobody's gonna come and say, hey, Lindsay did you eat today? You know what I mean? You got to put food on your table with that. And like, like how, how, why do you think so many people, um, struggle? I I appreciate you saying that, but I think a lot of it has to do with writing what you love and what are you're most interested in. Cause when I was freelancing and doing all different kinds of stuff, in addition, I'd write about sports, but then I'd write about, you know, gay and lesbian issues or someone asked me to do, you know, something, that had that I really didn't have a lot of interest in, but because it was money, I'd say yes to it. And but then it'd be like it, I I didn't have the interest in it. I didn't have the oh you know it was yeah. kind of like oh I got to do this. I've not in the two year one and a half years. So yeah, it's a year and a half since I've been writing for the Athletic. I've never felt that way because <laughs> every story that I do, I come up with. I pitch. I yeah. I tell them this is yeah. what I want to do, and my editor is awesome her name is hannah with him she's she's young and and incredibly bright and incredibly supportive and just kind of gives me free reign to to i don't think she's ever said no to to one of my ideas which is kind of funny now that i think about it so yeah i'm writing stuff that i want to write which a lot of freelancers don't always have that um that freedom So, you know, and if you're writing about something you're not fully invested or interested in, it can be a, Mm -hmm. it can be a slog to get through. Yeah, makes sense. Um, But, but still, even when you weren't, you still showed up though. I kind of believe that you did. And I I know that you did. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, You know, so I think that's one of the biggest takeaways Mm -hmm. that I think that people need to learn. Um, if they listen to this, uh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, like, it's, it was yeah, a, you did it's, stuff you didn't want. I don't do want to quit it to climbing a ladder. You it's you know, you know, but you kind of gotta you gotta figure you gotta get to a point. You gotta keep working right and get to a point where you know maybe it makes sense. And that's not to say that you know people mm-hmm. I've met and connections that I've made didn't play a part. And there's a little bit of luck in it too. Um, you know, one of the reasons that I was a, that I got the call from the athletic and they interviewed me, I mean, I still had to do an interview, you know, and kind of sell myself. But one of the reasons I got the initial call was because the senior writer on the Buffalo site, I met a couple of years ago and we became, he became sort of like a mentor to me. I did his rate. He has a radio weekly radio show. I did that uh, a few times. And so he gave them my name. So there's a little bit of luck that plays a part as well. Oh my God! Yeah, joining Twitter was a boom right. to me. Yeah, I believe as far networking. As net, is networking. I don't know what I'd be doing right now if I had just made that decision to be like, yeah, yeah maybe I should join Twitter, because for writers it is so. Um, I it's it's such a it's such a networking tool. Interesting. Yeah. Because like, I don't know, like for what I do, like I enjoy Twitter, you know what I mean? To the fullest, like, I'm not even going to lie. Like some, sometimes I tweet about business and other times, like I just, I just 
get some really good entertainment um, because what I do is a little bit different from what you do. So like, I mean, there's not like, you know, I rely on my networking is like sponsoring events and going here and going there and, you know, meeting with people. And I haven't used a resume in like, I don't even think I, I don't even think my LinkedIn mm-hmm. page is accurate. Like that's literally how much network, how important networking is. You know what I mean? Because Like I don't, I haven't had the need to use it. You know what I mean? Like people are just like, all right, I know like you get the job done. Like I literally, um, I just closed on a deal the other day and um, the guy, you know, hit me up. Well, he had told me, he was like, I knew that you, you would be the, the one who would get it done. And that's why I called. I was like, well, thanks. Appreciate you. You know what I mean? So um, it definitely plays a role. So like, what do you, um? so let's talk about uh, how you like, let's talk about, it's so random, but I think it's important. How do you pitch number one? So for these people out here who are listening, trying to get into freelancing or trying to freelance or have been doing it kind of in a half ass matter, how do you pitch exactly? Like, you know, like, do you tweet at people? Do you DM people? Do you like, like, do you actually have the whole article written and you put it to them? Like, like how, how do you pitch number one? And then what are like the financial expectations when you when uh you're doing yeah yeah so as as a freelancer you identify uh, a story idea and then you have to match it to a publication right so you wouldn't pitch a non-sports like a celebrity feature profile to like espn um you gotta match it you got and then um once you identify you know the the publication or site Uh that you think this would be a good fit for you find out who the editor is and email them specifically. You want to use their first name right off the bat. You don't want to, you know, have it be generic. Um, these are just little tips and ad- ads I'm throwing in. Um, and then you structure your pitch. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be long. This is you, you tell them who you are. Um, what your story idea is, why you think it would be a good fit for this publication or site and why you're the right person to write it. Let's say you have, I don't know, some connections where you can get, if it's an actor or actress, where you can get in touch with them. You know, um, you, you explain the premise of the art, make sure you explain the premise of the article. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Those are like the key, the key nuts and bolts to a, a good pitch letter. And then, um, you know, if it's a timely piece, you tell them why, you know, maybe it's, it's hitched to an upcoming event or, you know, some sort of, uh, movie that's coming out again, I'm using the celebrity angle. Um, so yeah, so then, um, you know, and then you could do that to do, you could, you could pitch the same idea to numerous publications, you know, if it's something, um, but if you do that, you also got to be upfront with the editor and say, I'm also pitching this X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you wait. And that's the hard part is sending out the pitches and then, you know, waiting to hear back. Cause okay. it's, you know, like I said, it's a constant cycle. You want to get an assignment so you can get going on it. And so you can get paid. Um, and so the editor will either respond and say, Hey, I like this. Tell me more about it. Or mm-hmm. yeah, this sounds like a good fit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Or they won't reply at all. Or they'll tell you, uh, no, we're not interested. So there's a variety of responses. And then, um, 
once you get in with a publication, let's say this editor said, yeah, I like your idea. Let's do it. Um, you, you, you discuss pay. And this was, this has always been a thing for me where maybe I didn't always ask for as much as I should have. And I think across the board, that's something with women. I don't know why we do that. But I have a, a friend who, who has always said, ask for the highest amount you mm, want, yeah. because the worst they could say is, no, we can't do that, but we could do this. Or they could say yes. So, cause you, you negotiate what you think is fair. And if they already have a, a specific rate that they pay right. freelancers, they'll tell you that. But you could always say, well, can you do this much more? You know, um, so negotiating rate is always a key part of it. And then um, let's say they end up publishing mm-hmm. it. You get a good rate and they, they like that. You go back and forth with the editing process. They like you. The next time you email the editor, you can be a little more less, like a little more lax, a little bit more like, hey, what's up? I thought of this now, blah, blah, blah. And then once you have that relationship, you could send, you could, it's so easy because you can take the formalities right, right out and just hit that editor up anytime you want. Cause they know a, you produce good content and B you have good story ideas and they'll, they'll always, and they might start reaching out to you and be like, Hey Lindsay, I thought this would be a good fit for you. Would you be interested in writing this? Yeah. So establishing a good connection with the editor is so key in freelancing. It's so important. Um, yeah and it's also and it also sounds like you said um delivering the, the good oh yeah you know that's the key like, right there once what you said it, you, for editors knowing they like, have they can a uh, have a writer who they know like i said can produce good content will do it by deadline uh you know uh and and is you know takes criticism well like through the editing process too you got to be willing to it's like a back and forth kind of a thing um they'll they'll the, you're you're in you're in <laughs> you know um so i i always yeah. loved like you know when i was able to build up maybe like right. a handful of editors i knew that i could just be like hey diane what's up uh this is what i'm thinking what do you think and it's just it, it's so easy when it gets to that point but yeah so that's the that's the process in a nutshell yeah. So, okay. Um, and, and that's really good to know. And I really hope everybody was really paying attention. Um, what you, what you said was literally like golden, you know what I mean? Like literally. And like I told you, like the reason why I even do this is because I believe that so many of these jobs that we have, like people want to do and they're like, Oh, let me pick your brain. But then Mm -hmm. they don't ask the right questions. I always feel like, you know, your connections are as good as the questions that you ask, you know what I mean? So like, somebody something dumb isn't gonna necessarily open up doors for you and um and I really hope that people understood how to pitch you know and then also again being consistent being disciplined enough to follow through on on what you what you asked mm-hmm. to do like because technically you're volunteering yourself for this work so you got to come through on this you know um Okay, so uh, let's let's talk about uh, what what else did we want to talk about? All right, so you left, and this is literally like my last thing because I think it's important for people to understand. Um, all right, so you left um, to take care of your daughter in 2012, right? And then um, 
you had to get back out. So basically all of the, the work that you did from 2009, it looks like, to 2012, which is a long period of time, you built up these connections, you, bu- you built up, you know, these rates, you built up all this stuff. And then on top of that, you had to start mm-hmm. technically day one, week one, ground floor again um, back in 2015. Well, right? it was actually uh, 2014 so when I started, you, you know, my daughter went to like, a daycare a couple days a week. So I started reaching out a bit more, but um, it was mostly print publications. It wasn't until 2015 that I really started, you know, looking for like ESPN and Vice Sports, which was a big one at the time, and and those kinds of high-profile <clears throat> media sites. I just, little by little, I just took some chances. I would have, you know, what I thought would be a good idea. And um, just with my my experience, having already been in the industry for a while, I knew I could write a good pitch and I knew I could write good features. So I just started taking some chances and, um, put myself out there. You know, you kind of, you kind of have to do that. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of young people coming out of college and just getting into this in their twenties, they have, they have like a step ahead than, than I did. Cause there was no Twitter. There was no social media back when I first started. Um, it was all, you know, it was mostly print or email, um, back and forth, you know, Twitter is. Mm-hmm. So how did you even, how did you even find these editors? Like now that you think about that, that is such a point because like everybody, like, you know what I mean? kind of has in their bio what they do to a degree, their contact information. Like, um, so how did you go just, about, like, did you buy honestly, a list of uh, like editors? Research, like, internet you research, you know, looking, looking through ESPN's, um, you know, list of bios and stuff. And that's, that's pretty much okay. how you did it. You know, Twitter, Twitter makes things so much easier for our, for, for the, for this, the sports writing industry. I can't even tell you how much, um, it time it saves to be able to just look someone up on Twitter and find their email. Um, but it is what it is, you know, that's the way it was back then. And, and that's the way you had to do it. Uh, and, if I hadn't, if I hadn't joined Twitter, I, there was be so much that I would still be doing old school wise. Um, yeah, which is funny, but that's just the, just the way it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, and like, I think one of the things that, and I know people always get in their feelings when I say it, but I, I honestly think that this is the easiest time to make money ever like honest to god like i'm not i'm not sitting here saying it's easy to make money but it is the easiest time to make money like when you think about our grandparents and stuff and then like i said even going back to being a black woman like people like if i took down my profile picture just say made it my company logo and just like was doing whatever who's gonna know that i'm black white anything like you know what i mean like i think so many people put all these mental barriers in front of themselves that like are literally non-existent. Like people are so attainable right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't get it. I, like, you know, I would people, love it. I'm just going to say this. I would love it if I had, you know, like, graduated from college in the like, past five years and, and was getting into this business because I'd have that much more of a, of a jump on the whole thing. Um, 
And I think uh, maybe, maybe, maybe because they've had it, they just don't realize it. I don't know. Especially since you're badass. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just takes a special type of person because, like, I always believe that, like, you could literally put a loser on a winning team and they're going to find a way to lose. And, like, and some people, you can put them in the bottom of the dirt or whatever the case may be. And if they're a winner, they're a winner. And, like, you are a winner, my friend. Like, honestly, God, like, I believe that if you probably, <laughs> I don't know if, about that. if you had <laughs> the um, tools that you have now, like, if you were fresh out of college, you would probably be, like, running ESPN or something. <laughs> Like, I don't, yeah, because some people just don't have it. Like, like I hate to say it like that because they, they literally just tell themselves all day long, like, what's not possible, blah, blah, blah. And you're just out there doing it, which I love that. Like, you know what I mean? You're like, look, like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to shoot my shot. You know, if I get blocked, I'm going to shoot again. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it is what it is. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Lindsay. I don't want to like you know, uh, um, you know, monopolize all your time <laughs> today. But, about oh my that. god, like, this um, has I'm been such Dark Angel Twenty One. That's um, D A R C A N G E L Twenty One on Twitter. Um, that's where I post all my articles and you know try to be funny on tweets and stuff, and not take life too seriously. And um, yeah, that's that's the primary place to find me. <laughs> yeah i do a, a, a local radio show here okay. in buffalo um, on and 12 70 a.m the fan uh, it's so the jerry sullivan show and if you're from buffalo you know who that is he's a longtime sports columnist uh for the buffalo news um i used to so funny i used to read his column when i was growing up and now to be doing his radio show with him once a week is, is pretty cool um tuesdays uh from 10 to noon Nice, nice. All right, guys. All right, so Lindsay Darkangelo, right? I just, I don't know why, like, I struggle. Um, but um, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we will definitely uh, be in touch. And, um, you know, thanks for listening, guys. Hey, guys, it's Chrissy here. Thanks again for listening to the It's Not Just a Game podcast. Wanted to give you guys five key takeaways from our episode with Lindsay Darkangelo. Uh, one thing is consistency is key. Lindsay was very consistent in building her writing career from pitching and interacting with editors and doing whatever she had to do to get to the place that she wanted. Do what you have to do until you can do what you want to do. She took a number of different copywriting jobs and a different uh, freelancing jobs where, where she was covering things that wasn't necessarily her passion, but she did it because she knew that she had to build um, a solid portfolio in order to get to where she wants build a solid support system. One of the reasons that she was able to catapult her career and really focus on her writing career is due to the fact that she had a very supportive wife who was able, who was willing to stand behind her or for her, um, while she lived out her purpose in writing. So you need to have a solid support system around you who really loves and uh, supports what you're doing. Follow through on pitches. You have to follow through. Like when you are pitching your, uh, idea or your article or your business or whatever, you're basically volunteering to do work for somebody. You need to follow through. And then lastly, building trust with your editors. Uh, she talked about through her consistency, through delivering a top quality 
product. She was able to build a uh, trust with editors that they are that now she's able to basically dictate a lot of what she writes about. Who she, who she interviews and um, basically catapult her career. So thanks again for listening to the It's Not Just a Game podcast. Hope that you guys learned a lot on this episode. And don't forget to follow us, like and subscribe and um, leave a review. So if you uh, leave a review, don't forget to put uh, a little bit about your business in there because I would love to read uh, I would love to read about your business on air. That's how I support you guys for supporting the show. Thanks again.